We're going to briefly take a look at a report from BDSA about sales reaching 61 billion by 2026 and asking the question, is the cannabis industry becoming too big? We're going to look at another article from MJ Business Daily about the David versus Goliath battle between big cannabis and everybody else. All of that coming up. It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. So BDSA is saying that in 2022, sales are going to reach $35 billion, about 22% more than last year's $29 billion, and saying that by 2026, forecasting sales are going to be $61 billion, and that's an annual growth rate of more than 16%. Midwest and Missouri, new places are going to help out with that. See in Illinois, 70% growth uh, of $1.8 billion in sales. And Missouri's medical only reached $200 million. And although California is expected to remain the largest contributor, they just had over $420 million in monthly sales. There's going to be markets like New York, New Jersey, Florida, Michigan, all probably the next top four contributors in sales by 2026. Canada's legal sales, just by the way, 3.8 billion last year, projected to reach 4.7 billion this year, and then by 2026 could reach 6.3 billion, compounded annual growth rate of about 11%. Then internationally, there's a lot of cannabinoid-derived pharmaceuticals, 1.4 billion uh, last year, roughly uh, 2.2 billion this year. And then by 2026, that international sales is going to reach almost 10 billion compounded annual growth rate of 6%. And the bulk of that is going to be driven by Germany, Mexico, maybe France and the UK is going to contribute. Uh, but we'll see a lot of the companies already into those markets. Uh, cookies are already there. We're going to see a lot of these multi-state operators. So that's kind of begging the question, uh, are we becoming too big? Is it big cannabis already, you're starting to see more and more companies utilizing the maximum amount of stores they can open. So retail in some places can have uh, just a certain amount, three, four, five, six stores, whatever it is, you see a lot more people maxing out. Those that still just have one store are not trying. Uh, nothing personal, but it's easy to go get capital and expand. And if you're not, you're um, wasting an opportunity. It's going to be a lot harder to compete when other companies start coming in. Uh, so you got to utilize your first mover advantages. There's issues that you could see in the market and just taking from example, like in uh, Michigan, there's a battle between the Cannabis Manufacturers Association uh, that have a lot of large companies and then other state medical companies. So they're having a battle between cultivation rights for caregivers and testing protocols. Um, there's other areas, um, moves by multi-state operators in Arizona and Illinois allegedly taking control over social equity licenses. I definitely see that in California. Uh, there was an issue where a guy from Washington sold his company to an Arizona-based company who then uh, got some money, went into California with a social equity applicant, and then paid him off, got him off the license, and then tried to sell it to high times. So pretty shady. Um, uh, not all the business partners were aware of what was going on. And you kind of see this happening all over the place. Um, it's just a, a lot of, of individual um, out there 
in the venture capital world that are snake oil salesmen. You see it all the time. And they're previous CEOs of other companies. And now they're running different cannabis companies or different psychedelic companies. And they just issue press releases and draw money and then they get out. These are snake oil salesmen. It happens all the time. And unfortunately it creates FOMO and people want to invest or get involved. And the reality is behind the scenes, it's just trash, all garbage. And no one does the due diligence. No one's looking at it. No one knows what to look at. So uh, it's, it's unfortunate. It's not all of wall street, but uh, you know, a lot of venture capitalists out there looking at private equity deals are um, ruthless. Uh, you're going to see issues in New York with a handful of licenses and what's going to happen to outlaw home cultivation and other issues like that. There's the Minority Cannabis Business Association that reported having identified state level caps as barriers to equity. Uh, and that needs to obviously go away. In Delaware, there's issues with trying to um, have a recreational legalization bill. Uh, by the state's existing MMJ businesses, including Columbia Carrot, and they're arguing that it would uh, decimate all of these small growers, uh, and the MSOs don't really care. Not everyone is is bad. There's um, certain nightmare dumpster fires you've seen, like MedMen um, versus maybe other people. Cresco Labs apparently has tried to push for craft grow operations in its home state of Illinois. Uh, that's pretty nice. Uh, Cure Leaf, um, they tried to say that uh, big cannabis is good cannabis. Uh, I'm not sure if they made their case very well or not. Uh, I'd like to see the price come way, way down. That would be that would be beneficial. Um, otherwise, like, what's the point of having big corporate cannabis? Their argument to that is they think that they have economies of scale and that way they can invest in high quality products and that their cultivation facilities and everything, their team members, uh, they invest in all these folks and create jobs and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, reality is, is if, if, if it's not convenient, the price isn't right, it doesn't matter. So they're going to have to reduce the price of ounces from two to $300 down to 20, 30 bucks. So if or when that happens, is it going to be big guys versus everybody else? How is the small craft gore going to be able to survive in, in, in a world where cultivation is, um, where there's no margins? I mean, I, th I think one way of looking at that is look at uh, craft brewers. They don't go out and get and grow hops themselves. They get it from the Yakima Valley here in Washington. Uh, or maybe one other place, and then they make their own product with it. I think from a, a big um, you know, cannabis standpoint, maybe a lot of people will do that, and then craft growers will grow their own, uh, and it'll be much different. Hopefully, um, there'll be infighting, just like barbecue communities. I'd like to see regional folks who do it really, really well and who are incredibly passionate about it, and I want to see kind of that same thing where the coffee culture, barbecue culture is really passionate about what they're doing on a very local level uh, where everyone else has access to all the other garbage products that they want, uh, where they're just, you know, putting trash on their palate. Uh, the rest of us with the discerning palate want something that's going to be actually good. Uh, hopefully at that point, there will be some more options. And the, the, the small guys will probably uh, rise from the ashes, like I've said before, uh, in the same way that mom and pop baristas or um, some of these 
even distilleries have popped up. Washington State has a new law where you can um, make liquor. You don't have to do it in the woods, you know, in a, in a bathtub or whatever. Uh, and so it's kind of creating a, a cottage industry. Um, and I think craft growers are going to be able to really excel with either cultivars or making something that's incredibly pungent um, or, you know, whatever their niche is, it's going to be so much better than whatever these large guys can do that it, it shouldn't be them versus everyone else. If there's a product that's worth buying, you're going to buy it. It doesn't really matter. Same thing with Budweiser. Like I'm not drinking Budweiser. I mean, I don't drink beer anymore, but, um, I always went after, you know, a local, a local brewery. I wanted something that was like a porter or stout or an ale, something that had flavor, you know, something that, that wasn't just this watered down, nasty skunk smell, disgusting. I mean, no offense if you, if you drink like Miller or Budweiser, but, uh, as it pertains to cannabis, these craft growers are going to have to do essentially the same thing and produce something that is maybe different, unique, or just better could be just better. That's it. Do the same thing, just better. I don't think people are really going to know until we see the federal legalization. Once you have interstate trade and you can, um, you know, grow in an area that's inexpensive and then distribute that nationwide, that's really going to differentiate uh, a lot of folks, people utilizing Act 60 in, in Puerto Rico to reduce their taxes by 37% when your razor thin margins don't really afford you 37% anywhere. That'll be a massive differentiator for a lot of these folks who can afford to put themselves in the right position in the right place um, in order to be in business tomorrow. A lot of these growth facilities like in Florida are going to be pumping money in while people are growing outdoor in California probably um, are going to be growing equal, uh, equally as good products as an indoor grower in Florida. Might be wrong. Uh, Price-wise, it's not even going to be able to compare. So you're going to be paying a premium and it's probably not going to be the value's not there. It's literally not worth it. Banking and legalization will help with writing taxes and help with some of those margins like 280E, uh, you know, being able to write off your labor and having actual banking transactions will, will free up a lot of time and resources. Uh, but it's still going to open up the doors for a lot of these folks who, who are MSOs, who have like John Boehner on their board, you know, previous Speaker of the House. Uh, and they're just stacked their their board with uh, influential players uh, in in the government. So it's going to be uh, an uphill battle for a lot of these smaller companies to be on the same on the same page. But maybe they don't want to. Maybe they just want to be local. And at that rate, maybe uh, they can be in one or two states and have a couple of locations in each one. Uh, but I think the compliance, the complexity is going to be uh, incredibly difficult and competitive in order to um, be successful uh, unless you have the first mover advantages, deep pockets, and a stacked board in order to know what's happening at the government level uh, and stay in business uh, another day, knowing that you're going to probably have to write off a ton of money uh, trying to pivot to stay relevant in the meantime. Do you think big cannabis is a positive force in the cannabis industry? Let me know in the comments. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like, their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.